Welcome to the latest episode of Your Wealth with Gemma Dale, a podcast series designed to help you create, grow and protect your wealth. Hi and welcome to the Your Wealth podcast. I'm Gemma Dale, NAB Trades Director of SMSF and Investor Behaviour. Today we're going to talk about dividends. It's widely known that the Australian share market has a much higher yield than other first world share markets. Dividends have actually accounted for more than half the return of the ASX 200 over the last decade, around 60%. Uh, and for bank shares, which many of our investors absolutely love for their yield, it's actually closer to 70%. So many older investors and investors in general rely on these dividends for their income. And the shock of seeing them deferred or cut or cancelled altogether, which is what's occurring now, has been really quite extraordinary for many shareholders. At the moment, we don't have great data about how many companies are going to be forced to cut or delay payments to investors, what that's going to look like. But the team at Martin Curry have actually crunched the numbers on their entire portfolio, as well as many stocks they don't hold, which give us uh, something of an eerie look into the future. Eugene Teng, who's been on this podcast before as an investment specialist with Martin Curry, and he's going to take us through the numbers and help us understand what the likely impact is going to be on dividends and how you can frame your portfolio to ensure that the the pain is perhaps less than it might otherwise have been. Eugene, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Gemma. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, to all your listeners, whether working from home or the office, uh, I'd like to say in solidarity that in these extraordinary times, I hope everyone is safe and healthy. Yeah, an important thing to say at the moment. So we're uh, we're in different cities at the moment, working from home, and uh, we're going to timestamp this one because the last recording that you and I did, we published a little while after it was recorded. We're not going to make that mistake again. Things are moving so quickly at the moment. It is Thursday the 14th of May, so there should be only a few days between recording and publication. So when you're hearing this, if it's shortly after it's been published, it's, uh, it's all very relevant and up to date. So Eugene, can you talk me through what your team have been up to as it comes to forecasting income from Australian equities? Sure. And um, by the way, I've set myself a goal not to use the U word um, at all today, which is unprecedented. So, um, <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah. So, well, we've we've actually spent the last couple of months completing a detailed stock by stock analysis of uh, ASX two hundred stocks, especially the stocks that we hold or the stocks that we are interested in and looking at the expected franked next 12-month dollar income for each of the stocks. Um, And in the current market environment, we're continuing to position the portfolio based on our focus of high-quality, lower-volatility stocks with sustainable dividends. And what I mean by by sustainable dividends is that they can pay uh, over the next 10 years, at least eight of those years, what we would call a normal-type income. So our recent focus has been fourfold. Uh, Number one, uh, and these are good tips for investors too. Number one, companies that make money while you're sleeping rather than those that have a more transactional nature. And what I mean by that is it's better if your customers don't have to come into your premise at times like these than uh, companies that only get paid if a customer comes in. Uh, Number two, Uh, We've been exiting positions that we think are more vulnerable to extreme adverse outcomes from social restrictions. Number three, purchasing um, companies 
that have not acted as dis defensive as they genuinely are. So the, the market has realized that and those are better value now. And fourthly, managing larger risks in the portfolios uh, to have a balance and to have firepower for taking advantage of opportunities. So investors also need to have think about how all the stocks within their portfolio interact with each other. It's a really good series of things for investors to talk about. I think your point about uh, not worrying about investors coming in to interact with your business is really interesting. Um, this this conversation is not about property trust, but it is something that a lot of people are starting to think about much more clearly is uh, the commercial property market, uh, particularly as it relates to uh, retail and then also office buildings and so on, People having to come in when they can't is a, a tricky position to be in. Yeah, it is. Um, and um, let me let me just cover that one. Um, commercial property is an interesting one. So um, I'll include uh, commercial property, infrastructure, and utilities into that basket of what we call real assets. And the interesting thing is these real assets were the earliest and most immediate companies to be impacted by COVID-19. Um, on the other hand, as we see states and uh, the federal government begin to reopen economies, these real assets are the first companies to benefit. So what we would say is prior to the COVID-19 downturn, trends in office were already uh, lower vacancy rates and increased demand for space because of technology requirements and companies providing technology services. Um, and this was also in conjunction with the structural trends of flexible working hours and more people working from home. It may be uh, very likely that this trend accelerates post-COVID, but we still think there will it will not diminish the demand for working offices in suburbs and CB, the CBDs of our capital cities. Now, in terms of shopping centers, they have been evolving too over the last decade or two and, and very different from American, American shopping centers that uh, you would see in the news a lot. Uh, shopping centers in Australia have evolved into entertainment and living centers well before COVID-19. So we expect to see these uh, the reopening of these shopping centers with restaurants, cinemas, entertainment spaces, and beauty centers to bring back foot traffic to shopping centers reasonably quickly as uh, the economy reopens. Also, population growth will continue to be a long-term driver for uh, the economy and real assets. Immigration will slow significantly over the next year or two, but we do think this is a necessary policy lever that the government will use in times of economic weaknesses. So once GDP returns closer to pre-COVID levels, uh, possibly in 2021, based on an ANZ bank forecast, uh, and unemployment drops a bit further, we would expect immigration to also normalize. Finally, with regards to the housing growth, uh, we do expect that to slow, of course, um, and we expect by 2022 for the long-term demand for housing to recommence, given that Australia has a long-term history of building new communities of immigrants and uh, Australian families. So, for example, Stockland is very well placed to meet this long-term trend. That's so interesting. I'm sorry, I've taken us completely off track, but um, but all of that's worthwhile. It's one thing I was thinking about as it relates to population growth. Uh, obviously, moving families and uh, and migrants around at the moment 
is a terrible idea, right? When you've got a pandemic, the last thing you want to do is is large migrations of people. But one would imagine that Australia and New Zealand will become even more attractive destinations for migrants uh, at the end of this, given the experience that we've had, assuming that we continue on the same trajectories. Um, Interesting your thoughts on that one. Uh, so I'll get back to what we were going to discuss, which is the yield on the ASX 200. Because this is just such a pressing issue for our investors, and they've been very focused on a handful of stocks that have provided the core of their income. But where do you see the broader market, the ASX 200, heading at this point as it relates to income? Um, before I um, scare your investors, and I just want to position uh, the situation so to let them know that the next uh, one or two years is not is very unlikely to be what we face over the next 10 years. So they are very exceptional circumstances. And um, we at Martin Curry focus uh, very heavily on Australian shares income portfolios for our retail investors um, based on their ability to pay a sustainable dividend. So eight out of, eight out of the next 10 years rather than looking at the current or consensus dividend. So we expect the reduction in the next 12 months income uh, within our portfolios will be much less than the broader market, but still very significant. So for our portfolios, we're expecting a drop uh, year on year from the high early this year of about 20 to 25%. And we expect the ASX 200 to have an earnings drop of about 40%. Wow. So that's the earnings drop that you're expecting. Uh, and then dividends expecting a drop of about the same magnitude? Uh, well, you, you would expect that, but it also depends on uh, what happens over earnings season, which has just started. So um, for some, you will see close to, uh, well, you will see literally no dividends. And um, other companies, you will see some dividends. But overall, um, 40% drop in earnings, and then you would see at least a similar drop in dividends, possibly more depending on the payout ratio. And that's an absolutely astonishing number, right? Like our investors will feel sick hearing that would be my guess. Um, you'll be able to tell me whether that's more likely to be concentrated in some areas than others. So the market has bounced very significantly. April was extraordinary, right? Strongest bounce on record, I think, or certainly over the last 30 years. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of talk about the magnitude of the fall in dividends. This bounce seems to imply a lot of people think that we'll have this V-shaped recovery, things are going to get back to normal, everything will be fine. Do you think that the market is basically reflecting a lot of people not doing their homework or do you think they're just looking through this year, just discounting the whole year and assuming things are going to come back bigger and better next year? Is that what they're thinking? Uh, well, it's it's various um, issues and I, I've been thinking about this quite a fair bit. So one thing I would say is that the market is not always rational, especially in the short term. So there, there's the old saying of uh, in the short term, the market is a voting machine. And in the long term, it's a weighing scale. And um, having said that, the share market is generally a leading indicator and the economy is starting to reopen. Also, we have had extraordinary fiscal and monetary stimulus and interest rates are at a record low. In fact, the Bank of England estimated 
that interest rates are now at a 5,000 year low. So the lowest it's ever been in human history. Um, you could argue though that there's a disconnect at the moment between share prices and the reliability of dividends over the next couple of years in particular. Um, keep in mind, we're still in reporting season. So there is a lag between current consensus earnings and what earnings are likely to look like uh, as the year develops. So I would caution your investors not to go to the Fin Review and just use the, the dividend charts that they see there and just buy the ones with the highest dividends. Because if the companies haven't reported yet, those are either consensus earnings or the pre-COVID-19 earnings numbers. And most of them are likely to be revised down significantly by our estimates on average about 40%. So that is also true for investors on NabTrade. I'm very sorry we are not able to predict the future on the yield side. So if you have a look uh, on your research pages for any stock that you're interested in, if it hasn't reported already, it will have the most recent dividend and it will have the most recent reported earnings. And so the yield is determined by those two things, which are uh, yesterday's news at the moment, or maybe two months ago's news. Uh, so just be a little bit cautious with that if you're listening and um, and using those those numbers. So are there any areas? Yeah, I think that point about a disconnect is is fascinating. There's so many people just kind of astonished by, but firstly astonished by how quickly the market uh, collapsed, um, but then how quickly it has come back as well. It was really rallied so hard and so quickly. You know, we're only getting, you know, genuine reports now of earnings. There are plenty of companies that are giving no guidance or have withdrawn guidance. And so a lot of people are operating in a bit of a vacuum as it comes to knowledge. Are there any areas that you're really concerned about where you think the sector is just going to be unprofitable for a long time? There's just going to be no income payable, even if it was pretty reasonable a while ago? Yeah, I think to put that into context, the first thing for uh, for investors to uh, recognize is that we are still, we are not even at the end of the beginning. So um, mm. been about nine weeks uh, working from home for some of us. And um, there's a long time more to go. That's number one. Number two, uh, these sort of events in terms of uh, economic uh, disruptions tend to take months and years to unfold. So I would caution investors to be very patient and not to be reactionary. So having said that, uh, the sectors which we do have concerns about, uh, number one, and, and this is purely from a, a certainty of dividend point of view, um, the, um, the ones which we are concerned about are the ones which are expensive, so like healthcare and technology, and sectors that will suffer uh, specifically, or, or in a sense, they're in the they are in uh, at ground zero of uh, the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic, uh, and they will have a lot of earnings uncertainty over the next year or two at least. So those would be travel, tourism, energy, mining, and industrial. So a lot of the traditional sectors that investors would have looked to uh, in the past for uh, their dividends. I, I feel like you've named all the sectors, to be honest with you, all the sectors are worry. Uh, you didn't mention financials, did you? Uh, good pickup. Uh, no, I didn't. 
<laughs> All the sectors except financials. Do you have a thought on those? Because I have to say for our investors, that is, they have been reducing their exposure to financials over the last few years. Obviously, the ASX financials index is down about 45% over the last few years, right, or from its peak. So it's been a, a rough area to have your exposure and in an economic downturn, it's also a rough area to have your exposure, but our investors have loved it anyway for the yield. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, financials are an interesting one, and uh, we tend to split them up into two different kinds of financials. So the non-bank financials and then the bank financials. And the ones we are quite keen on, interestingly enough, are the big four banks. So they've gone through quite a difficult period. And um, a lot of investors have been holding them for years, if not decades, and they've seen a lot of their uh, capital gains uh, eroded over the last uh, few years. And also recently, dividends have either been uh, completely eliminated or uh, cut. The interesting thing for the banks is once the virus has passed, the, econo the economic recovery will be a key positive for the large, uh, four large banks because they have retained their customer base. We expect to see a continuation in the move to digital, a, low, a much lower cost base and high market shares. Um, the banks as a sector have moved very quickly to develop a customer-focused response. This has helped to ensure that their client base is secure and that their brand reflects their social obligations. Um, I, I would say at this point that uh, in terms of social obligations, give you an example, um, from what I observed, uh, your recent announcement uh, uh, in terms of NAB with the dividends, uh, we think was a good move because it reflects the the understanding that a lot of your investor base are mum and dad shareholders who invest in uh, NAB shares for dividends and uh, possibly also a lot of retirees. So we view that as a good sign and um, as a recognition of your social obligations. Um, the good news is that banks have already factored in the main impact of COVID-19-induced uh, economic slowdown in Australia. Uh, they've increased provisions for bad and doubtful debts. They've maintained very high levels of capital, um, and they have reduced near-term dividends and uh, reporting earnings. Uh, but the, the earnings and the outlook that they're reporting during the recent season is very conservative and we think puts them in a good stead. Now, just to give you some numbers here, the PE ratio for the banks is now back to six times. And um, that's the lowest since uh, when Lehman Brothers collapsed, which was in 2008, so 12 years ago. And our analysis and modeling shows that the expected free cash flow, so that's the cash that the banks will have after paying for their expenses relative to bonds, is now close to 8%, which is well above the long-term average, which was 3.5%. So from a dividend point of view, we expect that over the next uh, year or two, their dividends will be very solid again. Um, so we, we, we think banks are very well placed to benefit from the post-COVID-19 period. Um, and as you can see, states and federal the federal government have already started easing restrictions. And um, many Australians will return to work recommence paying interest on mortgages and businesses. And while the population growth will slow with less immigration over the next one or two years, our natural birth rate prior to any immigration will see approximately 600,000 new Australians every four years 
um, who require the services of banks. And interestingly enough, that's half of our population increase. So it's still there. It hasn't been completely eliminated over the short term. I think so many of our investors will feel very comforted by that view. <laughs> um, make everyone feel a little bit better. Um, I will say working for a bank, it's been fascinating. I'm not close to the banking side of the business, but it's been really interesting to watch how quickly the bank was mobilising, uh, realising that so many income customers were going to end up in financial distress given what was going on. Um, and literally every person in the bank who'd ever worked in a call centre was effectively told, uh, unless your current job is business critical, you're going to have to get on the phone or start answering emails because that's how many people need your help right now. It was quite quite astonishing. I've never seen that. Didn't see it during the GFC. Um, I didn't work for NAB during the GFC, I relax. <laughs> so one question that comes up quite frequently from people who are relatively uh, relatively well-informed about how the Australian market operates relative to others is that Australian listed companies have been under pressure from shareholders for a long time to pay out large dividends, often regardless of whether they're sustainable. And we've seen payout ratios over 100% from some of Australia's biggest companies at different points in time. Do you think in this environment where earnings may well get absolutely hammered because of what's going on, that companies will, as you say, consider paying shareholders as a social obligation or do you think shareholders will be forced to accept that companies just can't afford those payments, not now and perhaps not into the future? Um, I, I would say uh, it depends company by company and it also depends on uh, looking at the short term versus the longer term. So on average in the short term, so over the next one or two years, yes, a lot of companies will either decrease dividends or withhold uh, dividends. Um, that's very likely. And, and the reason for that, of course, is that COVID-19 has clouded what was otherwise uh, an improving outlook for economic growth in 2020 for Australia. The, the good thing is we don't actually foresee material, structural or permanent changes in financial markets. But COVID-19 will be more damaging across certain industries and countries. Uh, also, it's driving significant uncertainty. Uh, many companies, as we've seen over the last few weeks, and as no doubt we will see in the coming months, are abandoning earnings guidance across the board. And those acutely affected industries are enacting restructuring plans, strategic reviews on capital expenditure, and in some cases, raising new equity, which actually, of course, dilutes existing shareholders. The, the full COVID-19 impacts will likely be felt in the first half of 2020. But keep in mind that our economic data takes, uh, depending on which one it is, one to six months to come through. So you'll start, you'll hear bad news over the rest of the year. But we do expect a full recovery in 2021, but to lower levels. Also, the absolute market levels mask a large diversion between the price paid for defensive quality growth shares versus cyclical and value type uh, shares. And the interesting thing there is that dispersion or difference between growth and value stocks is the largest it's been 
over the last few decades. It's even larger than it was in the GFC. So what that actually means is for a long-term investor, there are bargains to be had out there, but it will be an uncertain, bumpy, and probably uncomfortable ride over the next year or two. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so with all the bad news, where are you guys looking for opportunities for income from equities? You've mentioned a couple, which is really encouraging, but what are the, what are the things that you guys are doing? You mentioned also that if the market, uh, you're expecting earnings downgrades of around 40% and, uh, and dividends to follow accordingly, but you guys are around that 2025 mark. What are you looking for? Um, I'll, I'll just um, I'll just also give your uh, listeners a tip about uh, valuing investments, especially if they're a long-term investor. Um, so what we tend to do in terms of uh, one of the key measures we use to value a company is what they call discounted cash flows. It sounds very technical, but all it is is you make a calculation of all the earnings that a company will have over its lifetime, and then you account for uh, inflation. And uh, you bring it back to, to, to the, today's dollars, and that gives you your share price. The interesting thing is that even if you have one whole year of no earnings, sometimes it only impacts your share price by a few percent. So in actual fact, um, it's not the end of the world not having any earnings unless you need it for um, for uh, your living expenses or you're an income type investor. So um, my uh, my recommendations or or what we've been uh, looking at in terms of opportunities are all positioned around the certainty of income of shares. So as I said earlier, uh, one sector that we like are uh, real assets, so ARITs, infrastructure, and utilities. Uh, secondly, we do like the big four banks, and thirdly, we actually like uh, non-discretionary retailers that have a focus on online shopping. So some of those would be uh, Woolies, Coles, JB Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman, and Bunnings, which is owned by West Farmers, and um, just to name a few. And all of these have invested significantly in their online technology. And uh, this has been a very important way to stay connected with customers during uh, these social isolation restrictions. Post-crisis, we see as the economy reopens, we see a structural shift to online sales accelerating, which will mean retailers will need to have a sophisticated online offering, but also maintain a cost-efficient bricks-and-mortar offering. And we think these good retailers uh, should continue to do well given their strong offerings. I think that's an excellent uh, sort of summary of the, the kinds of businesses that people assume will do well. Um, I've probably made this point before. We we broke uh, <laughs> we broke cover a couple of times during the lockdown, and uh, and two of those times, one was to go to Kmart to get my daughter a, a doll because if she had to get her vaccinations, which was just a terrible idea, but I wasn't prepared in time, and um, and it was absolutely heaving with people, but the other one was Bunnings. And it felt like every single human in Sydney had decided to break cover at the same time and go to Bunnings. I was like, wow, if there's going to be a cluster outbreak in Sydney, it will be at Bunnings. That's what's going to drive it. And that's without the sausage and bread or the face painting. Gemma, there's a, there's a term for this phenomenon that you're seeing. And um, 
so a lot of uh, these sort of companies will have a one or two months uh, boost. It's called revenge shopping. <laughs> yes, or sanity shopping, I think. Yeah, just trying to keep yourself a little bit sane with uh, with some plants and a, and a toy for your child. Eugene, any other final thoughts to leave with investors at this point in time? Yeah, it's a good question. I was wondering about that. Um, I, I was thinking maybe, that... Maybe our investors can do a bit of revenge shopping. For sanity <laughs> shopping for shares and for for investment so products. Shopping, but if if you're if you're doing it with real items at the shopping center, please do be safe and careful. Um, what I would say to investors is try to have a longer term horizon. There's a lot of noise right now, and there's a lot of uh, speculation around many things, and to try to put aside all that, the the like my dad always says, uh, time heals all wounds, and they are things are not looking um, too bleak for Australia and New Zealand compared to other countries because we have an economic uh, issue which is caused by a health issue, but our health issue has been managed much better than many parts of the world, and we are very fortunate that we are big islands, so it's much easier to close our borders. Um, so what I would say is for your investors to have a long-term horizon, uh, cut through the noise and make sure that they are reaching out to trusted sources of information like yourselves and your colleagues at NapTrade. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so you didn't, you guys publish a heap of content, which is fantastic. Um, and you are out there giving people great ideas and, and helping them understand a lot of what's going on in the market. And uh, thank you for simply giving an investors a clearer picture around the dividend side because I know it's a great concern to a lot of our investors. Where do people go to keep up to date with what you guys are doing and find out more about your portfolio? Yep, they can go to our website, which is Martin Curry, so M-A-R-T-I-N-C-U-R-R-I-E.com.au or NABTRADE and search for our three exchange-traded funds, uh, stock codes, EINC for Australian Equities Income Shares, RINC for Australian Real Assets Income, and EMMG, which is our Emerging Markets. Uh, and all three of these are exchange-traded funds, which they can trade via NAPTRADE. Eugene Tang from, from Martin Curry, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for your time, Gemma, and thank you to your listeners. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening now, as always. Uh, as always, we do genuinely love to hear from you. So if there are any topics you'd like to hear more about or guests you'd like to hear from, please just email your suggestions to yourwealth.nab.com.au. I'm Gemma Dale. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Your Wealth with Gemma Dale. To stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast series or email us at yourwealth at nab.com.au. Please note that any advice provided in this podcast has been prepared without taking into account your objectives, financial circumstances or needs. Before acting, you should consider the appropriateness of the information. To find out more, please visit nab.com.au.